Well, this week we're going to go ahead and, and continue on on this small little mini-series that we talked about last week. We looked at the reality that we've been changed in Christ, that we are made brand new, that we're not who we, who we used to be. And, and we talked about that this is the, the foundation of who we are as Christians. And it's also, that's the foundation for this small series of these three messages. Um, last week, like I said, we looked at that we are changed. We are someone new. We're not the same person that we were bound to sin, that are enslaved to sin, but rather we've been completely freed from that bondage, that we can actually live a sinless life. But the truth is that even though that we can live a sinless life, we've been changed, the truth is that temptation is going to make its way into our life. Temptation is going to come. And this week, that's obviously what the, the, the subject of the message is, is temptation does come. The question is, what do we do when temptation comes? Because there's, no, there's, a, there's a few things that are guaranteed in this life. What are we, death, taxes, and, and temptation. You can add that to the list. You're going to be tempted. All of us are tempted. Yeah, even the, the pastors get tempted. Paul was tempted. We're going to see tonight, that even, or this morning, that even Jesus was tempted. You see, the enemy's goal is for us to fall away from our Savior. He wants nothing more than to drag you away from Jesus Christ. And the reason is, is because he's already lost. How many know the enemy has already lost? The devil has been defeated. So he can't win. You know, you see on TV these, these battles between, you know, the devil and God, light and darkness. Like there's, they, they make it seem like there's a chance that the devil could win sometime. Hey, that's not going to happen. The devil can't win. He's already been defeated. It's said and done with. But he can drag you with him. That's what his goal is. If you'll let him, that's, that's what he wants to do. That's why we're tempted. He's trying to pull you away from your Savior and pull him down with him. And the truth is, is that temptation is just a poor attempt of the enemy that is doomed to fail if we will walk in step with the Spirit. Remember we, were, we, we looked at last week that if we walk in step with the Spirit, if we will do that, then, then temptation is really just a doomed attempt by the enemy to fail. Isaiah 54.17 says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. I want you to know that there is no scheme of the enemy, there is no weapon of the enemy, anything that can prosper against you, because you have complete authority over the devil in, our, in your life. The only way that he, he can make his way in is, is with deception and with temptation. Basically, he's wanting you to give up that authority. But finally, and as we're going to see next week, the truth is, as I said last week, that you can live a sinless life. This week, we're going to see that temptation comes, and we're going to, I'm hoping that we can, through the Scriptures, leave with a revelation of how to deal with it. But the truth is, Many times we do trip, we do stumble, and we fall. And I want you to know that if you do, that's not the end of the world. That doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. That doesn't mean the enemy has won. We just have to get back up. And we'll look at that next week when we talk about what we do if we fall. Well, let's go ahead and get started with this week when temptation comes. In Proverbs 7:21 through 26, it says, With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. 
And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Solomon, in this proverb, is telling a story of a young man who he's looking out his window and he sees this young man walking down the street. And he's, he's walking towards a house that has a woman who, whenever her husband leaves town, she puts on the prostitute's garments and she walks outside and she tries to lure men into her house. And that's what the story is about this young man here who's, who's walking towards her house. And this story, as I was reading it, paints a picture of kind of how temptation works in our lives. First, the temptation comes and it promises something that it can't provide with seductive promises and smooth talk. This, this, this woman who's behaving as a prostitute is promising something to this man walking down the street that she can't provide. Because she's already, she can't provide to be a wife. She can't be a companion. She can't do any of those things because she's already married. And then, as it goes on to say, for some reason, when that stuff presents itself, we just get dumb. Man, sometimes temptation shows up and it's like our brain turns to jello and we just, we forget everything. We forget that we're free. We tell God's, you know, God's screaming. The Holy Spirit's screaming. You're forgiven. You're free. And we're like, hang on a second. I'm busy. And, and our, our brain just turned to jello. We just do dumb stuff. And it's like here he says that all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter as a stag is caught fast. Basically, his eyes stopped looking at the heavens and began looking at that temptation that was right in front of him. And basically, instead of men or women of God, we just kind of turn into mindless animals that can be pushed and prodded wherever somebody wants them to go. And then we become trapped. He says that, he says that it's like an ox going to slaughter into, or the stag as it is caught fast or the bird that rushes into the stair. We become caught. We become trapped in those things. And ultimately, it costs his life. Ultimately, if we, if we remain trapped, if we remain pulled away from God, it'll ultimately cost your life. But what is Solomon's advice? He says, one, oh, sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. And I think this is a perfect picture is that if we'll be attentive to the word of God, who God says we are, if we will look at what God says about us and we'll let that shape our actions and define who we are, we're going to see a difference in our life. And not pay attention to the temptations that come our way, but instead be attentive to the words of God. And then he says, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path. This is two things. One, do not let your heart turn aside. We need to guard our hearts as we're walking through life. We need to not let our hearts turn towards whatever is tempting us. Because sure enough, the temptation is going to come. We just got to do something about it. Don't let our hearts be led astray. And then he says, do not stray into her paths. And I find this really interesting because the first one is about guarding your heart. The next one is about guarding your physical actions. You know, this guy right here, if he wasn't walking down the street towards the prostitute's house, couldn't have been enticed by the prostitute. If you are in a situation where you have a problem with gambling, 
don't go and hang out at the casino for the free meals. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Amen? If you have a problem with lust, don't hang out on the magazine aisle. The simple things. We need to be smart about, you know, don't stray into the paths of areas that we can be, we can be distracted, we can be turned. See, the truth is, if we will not do that, it says, for many a victim she has laid low and all are slain in a mighty throng. You know, God doesn't tell us not to sin to steal our fun. God doesn't not want you sleeping around because he thinks it's, he just doesn't want you to have fun with all those girls or guys. He doesn't want you going out. He's not saying that we can't go out and, and get drunk because, man, God just doesn't really want you to have fun like all those guys downtown. He does it to protect you. God is asking these things not to steal your fun or your joy, but rather to save your life. Amen? In James 1, 12-15, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, the truth is, while God will let us grow through these things, while He will let us be tempted, God is never the one that is doing the tempting. You ever heard the the saying, faith untested is faith untrusted? We have to go through some stuff and begin to trust God. And we're going to have temptations come in our life, and we need to turn to God and not the temptation And God will use those things in your life. When you're struggling with an area and you're walking through an area, God will take advantage of what the enemy meant for harm to help strengthen you. But I want you to know that God is not the one that tempts. God is not the one that's doing it. He is not enticing us with sin to test us. Sin is not a tool of God to help you grow. It's a tool of the enemy. It's the enemy who's going to send these things your way. And God's not gunning for you to fail, but the enemy is. He wants you right there alongside of him. Another thing when we see people dealing with temptation and struggles in their life is is the idea that God made me this way. Has anybody ever heard that? God made the the biggest one you hear it with is, is, is homosexuals. Well, God made me this way. No, no, God didn't make you that way. And it somehow is an excuse for us to do stupid things. People have said that homosexual brains work in a different way. Therefore, God made them that way. They can actually do CAT scans and stuff like that. And they see that there are differences. And they say, well, God made me this way. God set me up for failure. And the truth is, I don't know if they were born that way. I don't know if it's developed. There are some some new sciences that say it's called the... uh, Brain plasticity is what it's called. But there's science that says that as you grow, your brain can physically change as, as what you go through and stuff. Your brain will develop differently. So did God make them that way? Did they develop that way? I don't know. But the truth is, God made us all in a lot of different ways. Some of us struggle with lust. 
Some of us, that's, that's something that we have to guard our hearts against. Some people struggle, struggle with alcohol or drugs. And that's something that we have to, to guard our hearts against if you struggle. And some of us don't. There's something that's always been a temp, temptation to me is, is that area of lust and women. And, and, and I have to guard my heart against it. I have to do smart things and make smart decisions. You know what's never bothered me is I've never had an issue with being addicted to alcohol. Why is it that some people do and some people don't? I don't know. But I do know that we are victorious in God no matter what faces you. That you are being made righteous and being made brand new. If, you're, if you feel that you have homosexual tendencies, I don't know why that is. But it doesn't change the fact that God has made us victorious and we can stand against every sin that comes our way. And it doesn't matter if we think God made us that. We know that there's, you ever heard of a kleptomania? Where people have an innate uh, a malfunction or, or however you want to refer it, but, but basically they have to steal. It's not like something they want to do. It's, it's in, in, in their brain that they have to do it. And they could claim, well, well, God made me this way, so stealing is okay. Or the people that feel like they have to murder. I mean, that's, that's not an excuse for sin, saying that God made you that way. We're all made in a lot of different ways, and we all have different areas that we can struggle with and, and be tempted by. But we can still remain strong in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. He says right here that it's, each person is, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's his own desires, his own lusts that, that carry him away. And the truth is to lust or to desire something is just an, an intense emotion of desire for something. And it doesn't have to even be sexual. Typically when you hear the word lust, you think of sexual stuff. But the truth is, is that is that you can have strong, passionate desire for all kinds of things. And the truth is, is we all have many desires. We have the desire to eat. Anybody here have a desire to eat? I have a desire to eat. But if you let that get carried away and it turns into gluttony, and, and then we have a problem. Amen? Anybody have a desire to sleep? I have that desire. I got teenagers, I know they got that desire. But if we let that get carried away, if we become sloths, if we become lazy, then we've got a problem, right? The desire is not, not necessarily bad things when we let it get carried away. God created sex and sexual desires. That's a normal thing. It's when you let it get carried away that it causes a problem. And oftentimes we let our old man sneak up and try to pull us back into those, uh, those strong desires to try to tempt us into doing crazy things. You see, it starts off with, with temptation, and then you're lured and enticed by that temptation, and it begins to churn up a desire in you, and then that, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. We have to guard our hearts against those very things. There's a word here, this one here, when he is lured. It's a Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I probably will mess it all up. But what it means is to bait or to catch a fish with bait or to hunt with snares. Basically what it's saying is here that each person is lured and tempted. The enemy uses a specific bait for you. When you go out fishing, has anybody ever gone out fishing? Got some fishers here or hunters. When you do those things, you set up bait, you set up snares. I mean, you don't go, you don't go fishing for catfish with a bass lure because you're not going to catch a catfish with a bass lure, at least not very often. 
And the same thing goes for us. Like I was talking about earlier, we each have different, uh, different things that tempt us. The enemy is not going to come after me with alcohol. That doesn't have an effect on me. It doesn't bother me. Some people are real sensitive to violence. Violence doesn't really bother me. I watch crazy movies more than I should probably. But that's not something that tempts me. I've never been tempted to be violent by watching a violent movie. But different people are tempted in different ways, and the enemy is going to use the bait that works on you. He's not stupid. He's been keeping an eye on you. He knows what what, what gets you all riled up, and that's what he's going to use to tempt you. And that's what we have to guard our hearts against. Because it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You know, the fleeting and temporary promises of sin cannot even compare in the slightest, not the smallest little bit, to the promises of God for your life. The enemy will try to dress it up and make it look awesome and make it look great and try to get your desire pumping and get you pushed into whatever that area is that tempts you. But the truth is, is that, that whatever he's offering up will never compare to the promise of God. Amen? So if we know that God is not the tempter, then who is? In 1 Thessalonians 3.5, and we talked about this, but here's, it's more explicit. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul's talking about here, as he's speaking to the Thessalonian church, he's speaking about the devil. The enemy is the one who tempts. Back here, James says, God tempts no one. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted for God. Because God's not going to use a tool of the enemy to work in your life. He's not going to cause that to happen. But there is an enemy who wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. The devil does not want you to succeed. The devil doesn't want you to go to heaven. And the devil doesn't want you to tell others about the glory and riches of Christ. He wants you to fail. So he tempts you. He wants to pull you away. He wants to damage your credibility. He wants to damage your relationship. And his whole goal is to pull you away from God. And the dangerous part about that is, is when we fail, unfortunately, people look at our failures as somehow a failure of God. And we have to be very careful that we don't drag the name of Jesus through the mud when we fall. How many, how many uh, uh, famous evangelists, televangelists have been caught doing something they shouldn't? And somehow it's God's fault. People begin to look at God in a poor light when it wasn't God. It was a, a man's failure. And I, I pray that, that they have repented and they've turned because the truth is we all fail from time to time. And that that doesn't shut us out. If we will repent and turn back to God, and, and we'll go into that in more detail next week, but the truth is, is that we can always come back. God is always waiting for us with open arms, just like the father of the prodigal son. There's nothing that is so bad that you can fail and do that you won't be welcomed back. But the truth is that we can affect the image of God in other people's eyes, the image of Christ, by the things that we do. You know, if you're going to go to work and tell people that you're a Christian, I pray to God you're acting like a Christian. <laughs> Amen? This is why we need to learn who we are in Christ and learn to deal with the temptation. That's why I, I was looking at these messages. We need to learn who we are. Temptation is so much easier to deal with if you know who you are in Christ. 
So I want to take a look at, over the next few verses here, we're going to take a look at, at Jesus. Jesus, how many of Jesus was tempted? And we're going to look at, at, at his 40 days in the, in the wilderness, and at the end when he gets tempted, in Luke 4, 1-4, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The interesting thing to me is Jesus was tempted. You know, when you're tempted, you have not committed a sin. We know Jesus lived a sinless life, and Jesus was obviously tempted, so temptation is not sin. If you're being tempted by something, you have not, it's not until that, as we read a couple of verses ago, that, that that temptation turns to desire, which then gives birth to sin. It's not until you act upon it that you've committed sin. The expression is, is that you can, uh, you can let a bird... You can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from making a nest. You know, there's things that if we, can, if we will take a hold of them ahead of time, we're going to be all right. But Jesus, he was tempted. He was in the desert. He was tempted by the devil. And there's some things that I find really interesting about this. One, Jesus was tempted for the whole 40 days. It says for 40 days he was being tempted by the devil. But we don't even hear... Any, we don't even read anything about that. We don't hear about those temptations. All we know is that later we'll read in Scripture, I believe it's in Hebrews, he says that we are tempted in every, or Jesus was tempted in every way that man was tempted. He's, he's been through it all. So for 40 days, Jesus dealt with some temptation. But you know, we don't even get to hear anything about it until we find out something. It says that he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. You know, the enemy is going to try his hardest to get into your, to your life when you're at a moment of vulnerability, when you're in a moment of weakness, a moment of, of struggle. Jesus was having some, some physical problems at this point. He's hungry. He's, it's been 40 days without food. That's somewhere near the limit before start some really bad physical health things happen in your body. And he's vulnerable at that point. I mean, after 40 days, I'd I'd probably do almost anything for a Big Mac. (laughs) Jesus was hungry. He was tired. He'd been out in the day. I guarantee he didn't have a a nice, you know, sealy posturepedic that he was out there sleeping on. He was in a rough point at this point. And that's when we begin to see the devil begin to go after him. I want you to know that if you're going through a tough time in your life, be aware, be on alert. The enemy is going to hit you hardest when you're down because that's when he, he can be most effective if we're not careful. And the first thing that he's always going to do is question who you are. What did the devil say to him? If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you're really who you say you are, why don't you go ahead and meet your need by, in this case, this would have been an ungodly way. This wasn't what God had for him. Basically, he's saying that if you're really the Son of God, meet your need in some incorrect way. God, the devil's going to question who you are. You're going to be struggling with it. You're going to be tempted with something. And you're going to say, you're not really a Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't even be tempted by this. You're not really a Christian. Remember when you did this? You're not really saved. You're not really righteous. You're not, the devil is going to question who you are. You need to know who you are in Jesus Christ. You can say, devil, it's true that I did that thing. 
And thank God that I'm not saved because of the things that I did, but it was Jesus Christ, perfect and finished work inside of me that makes me righteous. You can answer the devil when he says, when he says who are you? You can say, devil, how much time you got? And begin to quote promise after promise of scriptures to him. And we'll get into that later, but you can't do that if you don't know him. But the first thing he did was question who Jesus was. And then in Luke 4, 5-8, through 8, it says, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give you all this authority and their glory, glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, I will, I will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The next thing the devil's going to do is try to offer you shortcuts. Everything the devil tempts you with is going to be somehow to shortcut your way to, to peace, to happiness, to joy, to feeling wanted, to feeling loved. Isn't what all those different temptations are to somehow make you feel better, feel loved and wanted? Joy, happiness. Basically, he's offering you something that you already have in Christ. The devil here was offering to Jesus, I'll give you all this authority and the glory. Basically, he's giving the one that there's no name above his name, and he's saying, I'll give you this. When the truth is, Jesus already had that. And somehow, the devil was trying to offer some sort of shortcut. You know, if you'll just do this drug, if you'll just go out with this woman, if you'll just do these different things, then you're going to be happy. You're going to have peace finally. But the truth is, you already have those things in Christ. And none of those things will bring you happiness. Amen? He's going to offer shortcuts. And then in Luke 4, 9-13, it says, He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Once again, the devil begins questioning who he is. He says, If you are the Son of God. Back to that old trick. The truth is, that's the one the devil's going to try the most on you because it's the most effective. If he can make you thinking that you're something that you're not, he has much more control in your life. You've given him a much greater hand of control in your life. This will always be the question to you. Are you really brand new? Are you really saved? Are you really forgiven? Are you really righteous? It's an old trick and one he'll use over and over and over. But I want you to know that we have the answer in Scripture. We have the answer right here to what we have to do. What did Jesus do every single time that the devil tempted him? It is written. Man is not written. Not, shall not live by bread alone. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and only Him shall you serve. <clears throat> and then it says, It is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You know what Jesus was doing? Quoting Scripture to the devil. Quoting Scripture to the devil. That's how we deal with temptation. We begin to speak the Word of God right back to the enemy. When he begins to say, when he begins to say, man, you, you can't be saved. Look at all this, this dumb stuff that you've done. You haven't lived a good enough life. You can say, well, you know what the Scripture says, that, that salvation isn't by works because lest any man should boast. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the work that Christ did inside of me. 
You're not, you're not anything different than who you were. Look at that old person you were and all the stuff that he did. You know, you know what, devil? The scripture says that I'm a new creation in Christ. I am brand new. I'm not that person that you think that I am. I'm somebody else. And when you respond, when you begin to speak the words of God back to the devil, basically, he departs. He has to leave. He has nothing he can do. He has no authority in your life. He has no control. He has no anything unless you give it to him. In James 4.7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he'll do what? He'll flee from you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Begin quoting scripture to the enemy. He can't compete with that. That's one of the, the greatest reasons that if you, if you get saved, you should spend time with somebody being discipled. You know what you, you can't do if you don't know the Scripture? You can't, say, you can't tell the Scripture to the enemy. He's going to come to you and say, you know what, you're not good enough. And you're going to be like, wow, maybe I'm right. You're making a lot of sense, the things that you're saying. But when you know the Scripture, you know he's just full of nonsense. He's lying to you. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Another thing the enemy is going to try to do when he comes to tempt you is he's going to make you think that you're the only one. You're the only one that's ever dealt with this situation. You're the only one that's ever uh, had problems here. You know what, this area that you're struggling, don't tell anybody about it. You're just going to feel ashamed and no one's, you're the only one this has ever happened to. And what happens is, is we hold that stuff inside. We don't talk to anybody. We don't get help. We don't have people pray with us because we're somehow ashamed when the truth is, is that temptation is common to man. You're not the only person that's dealing with that struggle. You're not the only one that's been tempted in that area. The enemy wants to make you feel isolated and alone. But the truth is, you're not. There's a room full of people here that will stand with you, that will pray with you, that they'll encourage you. No one here is going to judge you. We've all dealt with dumb stuff. But we want you to, to be successful. We'll pray for you and disciple you and encourage you. And the great news on top of that is that God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. If you are facing a temptation, you are able to resist that temptation. If there is something that you wouldn't be able to resist, that you wouldn't be able to stand against, then it's not going to show up in your life. Well, Pastor Wayne, how do, how do I know that I can resist this temptation? Well, have you been tempted by it? Well, then you can resist it. Because God's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. He says, but with every temptation, He's also going to provide an escape. There's always going to be a way out. God will provide that for you. One of the, my favorite quotes from Mother Teresa, she said that, you know, I know that God won't give me anything that I can't handle, which is kind of a misquoting of this, but she says, I know God won't give me anything that I can't handle, but sometimes I wish he didn't trust me so much. I've had that feeling sometimes. But the truth is, anything you're facing, God will walk you through. Amen? And in Luke... 22, 39 through 40, uh, what we need to do is, is, 
is look at, when we looked at that story in the beginning, it talked about um, uh, guarding our hearts and then guarding our physical actions. So we've talked about now, so far, we've looked at that we will be tempted. It's common to man. We've looked at that it's not God doing the tempting, but it's the enemy doing the tempting. And now I want to look about what is the practical things that we can do. And the first part of that, as we saw in the first story, the wisdom of Solomon, was that, that we guard our hearts. And in Luke 22 through 39 through 40, it says, And he came out and went, and was as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. The first step of guarding our hearts and our minds, our, our will and emotions, is to begin to pray. If you're struggling with something, pray. Ask God to help you, to give you strength, to, to point out that way of escape. First step is to pray. In 1 John 5.15, it says that if we, if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of Him. If you're struggling in an area and you want to ask God for help, and He listens, He'll hear you. He'll give you strength and wisdom. That's probably the greatest thing that we need in situations like this is wisdom. What are the things that we need to do? And James 1.5 it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. That means that God's going to give you that wisdom without looking down on you. Without, it's without reproach. He's not going to be judging you about it. When you say, God, I'm dealing with this area. I'm really struggling. I need your help right now. What can I do to get out of this? God's going to give you that wisdom. And he's not going to, he's, oh man, I can't believe you're dealing with that again. You're going to have to handle it on your own this time. No, God's not going to do that. He's going to give you that wisdom. And something else though, that we, we don't see here is he, Jesus doesn't say, pray that you won't be tempted. He says, pray that you wouldn't enter into temptation. Praying that you won't be tempted is kind of like praying that the sun won't rise tomorrow. It's kind of like praying that you won't have to pay taxes this year. That stuff's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you pray. You're going to be tempted. I want you to know that right now. The the prayer is, Lord, don't, don't let me be tempted. It's don't let me enter in temptation. Don't let me succumb to temptation. Amen? So the first step is pray. Next, we need to, to pay attention to where we're putting our eyes. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been saved, you've been raised with Christ. And that's talking about your identity in Christ. You've been made brand new. You've been given a brand new identity in Christ. His characteristics are your characteristics. And if that's the case, if you have the identity of Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Basically, walk in step with that. It's like we looked at last week, walking in step with the Spirit, doing the same things as the Spirit, having the same mind as the Spirit. That's what this is talking about right here. Keep your eyes above and not on things below. You know, if you're focused on the kingdom of heaven and the things of God, the stuff of this earth is not going to be near as tempting than if you're always looking downwards. Because the things above are so much better than the things below. Amen? Keep your eyes on Jesus. The truth is, it's impossible to sin if you've got your eyes on Jesus. And you heard me right. It's impossible to sin. I know this in my own life because every time that I end up doing something stupid in sin, it's because I'm like, give me a minute, Jesus, I'm busy. You know, when I hear the scriptures in my head, and I, you, know, you almost have to ignore them. Because we, instead of looking at Christ, in order to sin, we take our eyes off of Him. Like I said, sometimes temptation comes and our brain just gets stupid. We do dumb stuff. 
But the answer to that is to keep your eyes on Christ. Amen? The next is we have to renew our mind. Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to renew our minds. We have to have a different mindset than we did before. If you want to be successful at resenting temptation, you can't think how you used to think. You need to have the words of God in your mind. You need to have the mind of Christ, the thoughts of Christ in your head. And the only way that you can do that is by renewing your mind. And this right here is a command. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's not something that's going to happen by osmosis. You can't stick your pillow, or your, your, your Bible underneath your pillow at night when you go to sleep and wake up knowing the Scriptures. It doesn't work by osmosis. I wish it did. It'd be much easier. But it doesn't. You have to spend time in the Word. You have to spend time reading what God has to say about you. And when you begin to do that, when you spend time in the Word, when you spend time hearing uh, uh, messages that are, that, are, that are preaching the Gospel and preaching the Word of God, any way that you can take in, in the Word, I don't care if you, you read your Bible, I don't care if you have it on a, a tablet, I don't care if you have to get an audio Bible, whatever it is, Get the Word into your life. And when you do that, your mind begins to be renewed. And it's an amazing process. All of a sudden, the things that you used to think about will change. You'll be like, man, I used to like this TV show. What I mean, there's other stuff. I don't even want to see this anymore. Or, man, I, like to, I used to enjoy going down to this place, but now I'm in the environment. It just... I don't even want to be there anymore. You begin to change, and it wasn't anything that you did on your own. You weren't consciously thinking, I can't watch this, or I can't do this, or I can't go there. But your mind becomes renewed. And this is a continuing process. If you don't keep in the Word, it'll slip back too. Keep in the Word. Keep reading any way you can get the Word into you to let your mind be renewed so that you can resist the enemy. Amen? It says that by the renewal of our mind, we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We begin to know what God has for us and be able to, to push away what the enemy has for us. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says, we also need to take every thought captive. It says in, in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3-5, through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because the reality is, is that we're at war. And there are powers that want us dead. The enemy wants you dead. He wants you to go with him. And he can't win, so he tries to take as many as he can with him. But the reality is is that we don't war according to the flesh. You're not going to be able to take your M16 and start shooting at the devil. But it's spiritual warfare. And temptation is part of the enemy's spiritual warfare. That's him lobbing grenades at you. So the question is, if, if that's what he's lobbing at us, how do we war? What are our weapons? And our weapons is we remind ourselves of the promises of God. Our weapon is the Word of God, the promises of God. And I want you to know, compared to his little grenades, the promises of God are like a nuclear bomb. His can't compare to your weapons.
The Nexus says that with those, we destroy those arguments, every lofty opinion raised against us. And the next thing we have to do is take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you want to resist temptation, you've got to stop it before it starts. When you see something that tempts you, something that wants to pull you in, if you have a problem with anger, I know people that are very easily offended or have a problem with anger, as soon as you, those thoughts start coming into your head, grab a hold of them, rip them out, put them somewhere else. Deal with them. Take them captive on their way in. Don't let them just sit in there and spin and fester and begin to give birth to sin because that's what happens, right? Take every thought captive. Get them out of your head and replace them with the promises of God. If you're having some struggle, the, 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 the greatest offense that you can have is you begin to worship God. Something comes into your head, just begin to worship. Pick a song, any song, doesn't matter. The only one you can remember is, yes, Jesus loves me. Start singing that one. Begin to worship God. And you'll find that those other things will just fall away, slip away. Like I said, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, it's impossible to sin. The problem is, is when we take our eyes off of Him. And that's when these thoughts sneak their way in. The next thing that we should do is start looking at some physical things that we can do. The first thing was how we can guard our hearts, our mind, our will and emotions. Now let's look at the physical. Matthew 5, 29-30 says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of your body parts, or parts of your body, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, Jesus isn't referring to physically cutting your hand off. What he's referring to is getting rid of those things in your life that lead you into temptation, that lead you that way. Anybody ever seen that show, uh, Fireproof, it was called, with, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cameron? He was, uh, do, you, do you remember, uh, one of the things he was doing with, with his wife was, is he, was, he was struggling with pornography. And he walks into his room, and, and there's the computer, and it's tempting him again. So what's he do is he takes that computer outside, throws it in the trash, and takes a bat to it. He was cutting off his hand. He said, you know what? I'd rather not be with a computer than let this destroy my life. And, and that's, that's the way we need to do that stuff. You know what? If, you're, if, you, if you had a problem with alcohol, you probably don't want to do a ministry in the bars. Not a good place for you to be. Remove that stuff from your life. If you have uh, a problem, like I said, with gambling, that's probably not a good place for you to go administer the gospel. It's down at the casino. We need to remove those areas from our life, those possibilities from our life. Amen? Just like the saying goes, out of sight, out of mind. The truth goes, it's the same for all of that stuff. Next, we need to be careful with the people that we're keeping company with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I mean, this one is just common sense, but man, is it one... It always makes sense for other people. You ever notice that? A lot of this stuff makes sense for other people, but not for us. Like, man, you should really stop hanging out with those people. What about you? Oh, no, they're, they're good friends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them saved. I'm going to move them around. Or There's always some excuse. The truth, we need to be careful with who that we're spending time with. If you hang around with people that do sinful things, and the likelihood of you doing sinful things is so much greater. It's almost guaranteed that you're going to get roped into that. Did you know that statistically your income is going to be uh, the average of your five closest friends? Statistically, your income is the average of your five closest friends. 
Statistically, if your friends are overweight, then you will be too. The thing is, the people around us influence us. And they can, they can cause us to do certain things. They can rope us in. This is why as a parent, we're so concerned with who our children hang out with. If you've been a parent, there's a reason why you don't let your kids hang out with, with the, the neighbor kid down the street doing all the dumb stuff. Because you don't want your kids doing that stuff. I look back on my life and there's so many things that I did because of the people that I hung around with. And if I hadn't been hanging around with them, then I wouldn't have done any of those things. I look at the, the drugs that I did in, in, in high school, and I, I don't think I would have done any of that if I wasn't just trying so desperately to fit into some group. And that group that did those things were the only ones that would kind of let me in. So I, I did all the stuff that they did just so I could fit in. I was, I was looking for something that they couldn't provide. Love, acceptance. Only God could provide that to me. And I did all kinds of stupid it's the reason that missionary dating is bad, too. You guys know what missionary dating is? That's when you, you, uh, you start dating somebody, and you're like, man, don't you know you should be equally yoked? You shouldn't be. If they're not a Christian, you shouldn't be dating them. And they're like, oh, I'm going to get them saved. That's missionary dating. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Because there's just as good a chance as they're going to pull you away from God as you pulling them to God. Amen. Sometimes we also have to run. Sometimes the best course of action is to just beat feet the other way. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, it says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Sometimes the best thing to do is run, particularly in sexual type sins. Beat feet and run. Turn around get out of there. Just like you guys ever seen Monty Python, run away, run away. That's what you should be doing. Running away. There are times to resist and there are times to not put yourself in that position. And, and we need to recognize that the best idea is not to just try to be strong, but just to get away from that area. And that's one of the other things that we can physically do. It's to stay, don't walk down those paths. Just like Solomon said to that guy, why are you walking down her path? Instead, run the other way. Amen? And we'll end here today. In Hebrews 4, 14-16, it says, So then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, Jesus lived and he was without sin. And the reason that should be, one of the reasons that should be impactful to you is because Jesus was 100% man. When he was on this earth, he was 100% God, but he was 100% man. The scripture says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, for in every respect he has been tempted as we are. 
every respect. Not a single person in this room has been tempted in every respect, but Jesus was tempted in every respect. Yet he was without sin. And if Jesus, being 100% man, was tempted in every way and was without sin, that means that because of him inside of us, we can live without sin. We can resist the enemy and he'll flee. And this morning, the, the two key factors that we've looked at so far is the first thing you have to do is understand that you are no longer a slave to sin, that you are brand new, that you are not just forgiven, but you are free from the bondage of the sin and death, that the enemy has no authority over you. That's the first step is understanding that. And the next step is knowing what to do when temptation comes. And as we looked at today... You need to guard your heart. You need to pray. You need to spend time in the Word. You need to learn the promises of God. You need to quote Scripture back to that temptation. And then sometimes you just need to run. But the truth is that we can do it. We can resist temptation. We can live. Jesus was tempted but was without sin. And He is inside of us. Like Paul said, it's not I who live but Christ inside me. That means that we can do the same. And I thank God for that. This morning, I just want to to challenge us to be a people that are going to resist temptation, that are going to, to spend time in what we learned this morning. If you're not sure about it, I sent an email to, I think almost everybody in this room uh, is on my email list where I send out the notes. It has all the scriptures that I looked at today. Put them up on your fridge. Write them down. If you didn't get it, give me your email today. Let me know you want to be on the list. Every Sunday morning I send out, or every Saturday evening usually, I send out the, uh, the, the, the scriptures and the little place to write notes of every message that I do. Write these scriptures down on the wall. Remember them. Get them in your head. But let's be a people who are going to let Christ live through us. And beat the devil. Resist the devil. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.